Hey, hi, my name is Scott Eastman. I'm a pastor with Life Church uh, in Green Bay. I'm the pastor of the downtown site. Joining me today on this limited series podcast are my friends, Pastor Sean Hennessy and Pastor Rabbi Matt Rosenberg. And so I already screwed it up, but I'm, we're going. We're just going to keep going. I feel like you said my last name wrong and then you I said Hennessy wrong? Hennessy. Like, I did not either. <laughs> it's okay. I'm just telling you, like, I don't know what Pastor Sean Hennessy uh, had for breakfast this morning, but there was something in it. So, but listen, we're, we're getting together um, and talking about this uh, in a podcast limited series we're calling A Pastor and a Rabbi Walk into a Cultural Crisis. Because there's just, it's like a, but it's an upside down world. And I know that there's lots of stuff like this that has happened in the past, recent past, distant past, middle past, like just, but for some reason it just feels different this time. And so uh, I just thought maybe we could just take a, a few little segments and we just talk about that. But before we get started, maybe we should figure out who's at the table. And so, uh, Sean, for those that don't know, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I've been in Green Bay for seven and a half years leading this beautiful church and what we consider a cultural shift in our community. That's our goal is to shift the culture of our community, which makes things like this pandemic a challenge, but also I think an opportunity to do something different. And I know that there's people that are wringing their hands and crying out, when are we gonna be able to worship under one roof again? And the answer to that is I don't really know. Yeah. And so there, I guess I'm just a microcosm of all sorts of different opportunities. I, I grew up in a, a very interesting environment would would be to say the least. And so I think all of those experiences and opportunities led to this mishmash of person who I am. I'm married to the Reverend Sonny Hennessy, and uh, I got a couple of beautiful kids, Isaiah James, he's just turned 17, and a beautiful baby girl, Aubrey Rose, who's 15. Awesome. Thanks. Rabbi Matt. My name's Matt. I am uh, a lead congregation called Restoration in Seattle. Been there for 10 years. Uh, been married for 18 to Laura. And we have three kids, Emma, Siri, and Ty. Our middle daughter's name is Siri. She was born three years before the iPhone used that name. <laughs> you get royalties and off that? Yeah, like every month you get like a check. She oh. gets a lot of like... What's the wet? Hey Siri, what's the weather? Um, so um, yeah, and I'm totally an Apple guy. So people assume I actually named her that on purpose, but that's hilarious. I did not. Um, I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus, and uh, and my dad is a Messianic rabbi in New York. So I grew up. Um, in Messianic Judaism in New York, and then was exiled to Seattle. And not uh, for real, though. No. Okay. No. Like the Babylonian exile. <laughs> I wasn't sure when we were going to start getting serious. So like, okay, all right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jews are always in exile. That's part of our story. Really. That's part of the charm. Really. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And just for people that listen and may not know, right? Yeah. A Messianic Jew, right, is someone that is Jewish both by ethnicity and by faith, but also believes that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Yeah, like all the original disciples of right. Jesus. Right. <laughs> Including Matthew. Yeah. yeah. All of them. Yeah. Who you're named after. Right. All of them. Yeah. And then your brother is also... That's true. Yeah. My brother's a Messianic rabbi in Chicago. Gotcha. So, and then my uncle is actually a Messianic rabbi in New Jersey. So there's four of us in the family. We wow. just need a uh, Rosenberg, who's a rabbi in Texas, and then we kind of cover the whole. Well, you're kind of like the Mount Rushmore yes. of Messianic rabbis right now. Your That's family. Right. That's right. I like that. That's cool. Yeah. Both these guys are sitting here representing their local teams. My friend Sean is here with his Packers gear on. My friend Matt is here with his Yankees gear on, and yes. uh, it's super funny. Not that yeah. they're it's diametrically hard. opposed. But. It's hard to be. I can't be a Mariners fan, even though I live in Seattle. Oh, because yeah, that's, I mean, is that even a team? No. Yeah. No. So, so Not you, after Griffey left. They're the only baseball team in all of baseball that has never been to the World Series. Hmm. And, you know, the Yankees have actually won the World Series 27 times. They've been in the series like 35 times, something mm. ridiculous like that. It reminds me when I was like in eighth grade, the first actual licensed gear. So that would have been in 1980. 
So this was before like licensed gear was a big deal. But I remember wanting a, a satin Yankees jacket in the worst possible way. Yes. And so that was like the first thing I ever got. I bought like I remember I remember that mall I went to and I got it. My mom bought it for me, and I'm strutting around my Yankees. Like it, I've got no connection. I'm not Italian. Right. I'm not. <laughs> I, I, at that point, I'd never been to New York. You know, there's no reason for me to be a Yankees fan. I could have yeah. named you three Yankees at that point. Right. You have but to be just, Italian to be a Yankees. Fan? I feel like you kind of do. I'm also Italian. Yeah. Actually. See. Yeah. Anyway, there it is. There it we'll, is. T- we'll talk about that maybe another time. Yeah. yeah, combination of Italian and Jewish is hairy and loud. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sean's Irish. Yes, so I am Irish. Yeah, I am Irish. All. And I'm Polish. My o- almost all. My head, my head sunburn proves that I'm Irish. Yeah, it's true. You're peeling right now. Okay. It's so bad. And mm. freckles. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, They're freckles lovely. are kisses from heaven. Really? I did not know that. That's <laughs> what we tell our daughter. <laughs> She's been kissed a lot. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot. I, I love her freckles. So listen, before we start talking about this <clears throat> crash course in a crisis culture, I forgot what I already called it by now, but before we talk about that, maybe we could just define some words first, because I feel like I use these words interchangeably, and they may mm-hmm. not be. And so like, I use the words... Uh, like racism and bigotry and prejudice and injustice, I use them almost interchangeably. And so to your mind, you know, do, am I doing it wrong? Are they synonymous? Are they, is that a thing? Well, I don't think racism and, and bigotry are synonymous. I don't think that the, they mean the same thing. I think that people can confuse the two. I mean, race is loosely by definition where you, where you oppress someone because of their race, whether you do that physically or emotionally or spiritually. But bigotry can be about, about a person's ideas or their ideals, right? So you can you can have someone and, you, and so you can you can accept someone regardless of their ethnicity, but because of their ideas. Hmm. And I think some of that could be happening right now, even with Black Lives Matter. Let's I mean, let's just jump into the deep end of the pool. Sure. So, I mean, some of this ideology is you have people who will say, well, I'm not a racist because I have a black friend, which is insulting in and of itself. But then but then they'll say, but why is it that you're supporting Black Lives Matter? And they can't get over the ideo- ideology of Black Lives Matter because Black Lives Matter supports some things that they don't want to support from an idea standpoint, gotcha. right? So whether that be as an organization that Black Lives Matter technically supports uh, people of same-sex relationships. And so then Christians, and I'm using air quotes, will then become angry because, because we're getting behind something that is an organization that has an idea that they don't buy mm-hmm. into. Yeah. So they may not be racist, but they're a bigot, if that makes sense. Yep, I get it. And then prejudice and bigotry, those, those two things would... In my mind, they would kind of intermingle because because prejudice has a lot to do with people's ideas as well. Gotcha. So right. all racists are bigots, but not all bigots are racist. Like all squares and rectangles, that kind of thing. So racism is an example of bigotry, but bigotry isn't an example of racism. And it's well, that I important. I don't think, well, I think when you say that racism is a form of bigotry, I don't think being Jewish is an idea. Right. I think it's an, it is an identity. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't. That's okay. Here's a, here's a definition of racism is um, prejudice. Did you get like an Oxford dictionary for your birthday or something? Because yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like you've been rolling that out a Google. lot lately. Uh, <laughs> prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Hmm. So I think racism is is attached to the idea that if there's different groups, then one group's better than the other groups. Mm. And because they're better, they, they're, you know, they're superior in every way. So I think racism is specific. Prejudice is a part of racism because it's from two, it literally means to prejudge. So you're, you're judging on things that, you know, this is where all the, um, well, the words skip in my mind at the moment, but all all the typical things you think of other groups. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we all have like, you know, black people can sing and dance, right? Jews have all the money, 
Like mm. those are like typical things that people you don't have to think them to have like they're so ingrained in our world that you know, we love to say I'm not a racist. Mm. But really if you're honest with your own thought patterns, um you 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 come to terms with how often you think things like that. Yeah. That don't really have any truth mm-hmm. um, or, you know, it, real, there's no sense of reality. Yeah. And it doesn't. In those things. And I don't feel like it has to be ugly to be in our lives. Like, it, it, listening to you talk right. reminds me of Reggie White, God rest his soul, famously made a speech, you know, at. I don't know, Wisconsin Senate, something, something. Anyway, he was just talking about, I don't know, unity or talking about something. He's like, and like, and like the Mexican people, they're so good at all just living together in one house and they, they mm. should be la la la. And you know, the Asian people, they're so good at making stuff so small. Like they should la la la. It's like, right. and those are examples of like, he, I mean, I mean, I've never met the man, but I would imagine that he was right. like, stereotype like, is right. the word. Yeah. yeah. Right. Worth. And I feel I like we do that <laughs> because we're lazy. Like, I don't want to get to know you. I just know that if you're wearing a Packers thing, you're this. Or if you have freckles and a red hair and blue eyes, you must be Irish, and so I'm going to think that. Or because you have those dark eyes and that dark skin and that dark beard, and you're wearing a thing. Like, maybe, like, so now I'm just going to assume. Because you called it something different lately. I didn't know that that's what it was called. What do you call this thing? The thing that you wear on the back of your... Well, there's two words. The Hebrew word is kippah, and ah. the... And the um, the Man, my brain's not working right. Today. English, Gentile. The Yiddish word Did Yiddish is is yarmulke. Right. So gotcha. Too. So anyway, which, so is odd, which is very oddly spelled, by the way. It's spelled yarmukel, but <gasps> it's pronounced yarmulke. No kidding. Huh. <laughs> I've always spelled it like phonetically. Like yeah, no, it's really weird. Why? It's In fact, one time I had a language. Prius, and I got uh, <laughs> I got a roof rack. I was trying to make my Prius look cool. <laughs> You know, a roof rack I, on a Prius. It looked, and I liked it. I had a bunch of stickers yes. like on the. There was like a. I put a roof rack. I put the like the yes. shield on it. Yeah. But because of the way the Prius is built, the roof rack kind of sat like on the back of the Rius's roof. <laughs> and so instead of it, my friends calling it a Yakima, which is a roof rack brand, yeah. he called it a Yamaka. Like he was because it sat on <laughs> the back. Because it sat on the back. <laughs> anyway, That's funny. See, but that it that sounds like a racist statement right. to exactly. me. Exactly. But we wouldn't. We wouldn't naturally. Ass- we wouldn't assign that to be a racist statement. Because that, there's no hate behind it. Right. And that's where that idea of, well, I have a black friend. Mm-hmm. Right. Makes someone say, I'm not racist because this. But right. So Rabbi Matt's point, if you, if you slowed your brain down enough for one day and took a little pad of paper like people my age would do or as the kids would do, take your phone, and you wrote down every single racial thought that you had. I think you would be surprised and disappointed with the number of comments that you have. Yeah. But I also think you don't know that you think that you don't, you don't even know where they come from. Mm-mm. So, and you don't even know that they're that, that they typically, I think stereotypes often come from negative connotation. So, even if it's not used in a negative sense, yeah, um, it's because that's generally like, oh, I didn't mean that mean, yeah, but it doesn't mean it's okay to right. think it, right? Even saying <laughs> I've got, I'm not racist because I have black friends is actually doubling down on the racism, hmm. yeah, right. But I don't think anybody would want prove it would want you to categorize them by something that they can't control, right? Mm. And to view them in a particular way. And and not that they're not wanting to be identified by that, but I mean, I, I would never, because you're Jewish, I would never want to, why would I make a Jewish comment because you're Jewish? I just, to me, that's just weird. And it's lazy, like you said. Yeah. And this idea of getting to know people and, and all these but sorts I, of things but about I think them. They also come from, I think the comments come from people being uncomfortable. So, for instance, if I'm like in a, you know, people don't know me well and we go to a restaurant and I don't eat anything from pigs, I keep kosher. Not like Orthodox Jews keep kosher because they added a lot of rules. But, you know, in Leviticus 11, it says don't eat unclean animals and it has a list for Jewish people. So, when I go to restaurants with people that don't know me well and have never 
like it makes them uncomfortable that I don't eat all the same things they eat. So they make jokes about like, oh, you can't eat that. Or like, oh, you know, it's not that they're trying to process. People aren't like, why don't you, can you explain to me why you don't? They're just automatically uncomfortable because I think internally it's like, well, is me eating it wrong? Or why are you so worried about that? Or is that like legalism? Or is that, there's like all these things that go through your head. So it comes out as a nervous, like, (laughs) you don't eat pigs. Right. I want to come back to that. But before that, so would it be like if I sit down with someone that I know is a vegan and then I make some kind of stupid. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Same thing. Right. But it's really because you're uncomfortable with the whole topic. It's not, it's not because you're even mocking the person. Right. Um, it's like I just the don't know a lot of vegans, and so like I don't. Yeah. Like, why know. would you even do that? Like, why is that yeah. even a thing? You know. Yeah. But instead of asking it that way, because we're nervous to have, I don't know, real conversations. And I don't want just... this to be a rabbit trail because it could. But just the, something you said was something I was thinking about as well. So like, if if Sean and I are with you when we go to the barbecue place, we probably wouldn't go to the barbecue place because right. I mean, like, anyway. But if we go someplace, right? Like you're following Jewish law, your Jewish heritage, and. Leviticus 11, mm-hmm. right? That's and just it's, like it's, Jesus, right? Just like Jesus, yeah, right. That to that to your point just just before, like I'm not I'm not wrong for having pulled pork, right? right. It's right. It, it'd be it'd be a sin for you because of the way that you follow your tradition. No, because God told us not to. As Jewish people, it's a commandment. That's what I guess I should have said it. That it's way. not a tradition; it's a commandment. Yes. Traditions build out of commandments, but they're usually added things that people add to. But I'm not, I guess my point is I'm not convicted by the fact that you're not having. No, and you shouldn't be because if you understand the, you know, kind of the basics of the Torah, there's specific things that God gave to the Jewish people for the reason of conversation. So he told us to separate ourselves from the nations. And here's a few ways you're going to separate yourself from the nations so that the nations would ask, why are you doing that? And then we say, because we were slaves in Egypt, and God set us free, and he made a covenant with our people, and then he sent his son Yeshua to die for the sins of the world to open the doors to everybody else. But that doesn't mean everyone else becomes Jews. Right. They stay people from the nations. That's what the word Gentile really means, the nations. Um, And so there's freedom um, for... Well, I'll say it this way. A professor in college, I went to a Christian college, and a professor in college said he didn't have his son circumcised on purpose to, f- to show that he was free from the law. And I was like 18 years old, and I raised my hand, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And he said, why? I said, because why would you try to prove your son was free from something he was never under? Like, circum- 18-year-old Matt said that? <laughs> Circumcision is a part of the covenant that God made with Abraham and his physical descendants, which does include Arabs, which is, that's a rabbit trail. But um, it never included the nations. Hmm. Some people tried to make it before the nations at different times in Jewish history. Um, But generally, the nations were never expected to circumcise because the covenant is... It's a sign of a covenant that God made with our father Abraham and were his physical descendants. Um, So, you know, for a Gentile to say, I proved that I was free from the law by not doing something that I was never commanded to do in the first place, is just arbitrary. It doesn't, you don't have to prove that you're free from something you were never under. And as a Jewish person, I would never want to be free of the covenant of Abraham and circumcision circumcising my son on the eighth day of his birth was like one of the greatest moments of my life Mm. because without his choice and the spilling of his blood, he became a part of the covenant of our fathers. It's like, you know, now as an adult, he can leave and not believe in God and make his own decisions. But as a kid, there's no choice. You're part of the people, whether you want to be or not. Yeah. Because we... We, I mean, that's what covenant, the word covenant in Hebrew actually means to cut. Hmm. So the cutting of the circumcision, sorry if this is graphic for people, the cutting of circumcision is literally the making of the covenant when blood is spilled. Wow. Um, and, you know, so it really comes down to simple misunderstanding of what is, people don't like the word required and they don't like the word obligated. Christians 
let's say it this way, white evangelical Christians don't like the word obligated um, because they have this concept that we are set free from the old covenant, and in the new covenant, there's now freedom. But there's always been freedom in all kinds of things in all of the covenants, because God's a God of freedom. That's mm. He set us free from Egypt. That's part of the mm. story. So when we engage in the things that God actually commanded us to do as a people, it's a moment, like I have to several times a day, you know, when I'm sitting with other people or we go to a restaurant and people order food as we do, I'm literally looking at the menu to say, what can I not eat because of my relationship with God? Like it's there's yeah. no it's there's, it's not a heavy weight, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have to think that when a, I go to Culver's. It's not a burden, right? and yeah. that's part of the design. Um, is for us as a people. That's just part of um, it. It's it's not tradition and it's not legalism. They can become those things. But it's the heart of actually, I just want to serve God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and all of my strength. And that includes my choices in what I eat. Right. That's good. I think there's freedom in those obligations, too. I think the opposite of that. There's freedom in that. Yeah. And where you say that a lot of evangelicals don't like those words, I think it's because we don't understand that there is freedom in that. It is, uh, it's not the freedom of choice. Yeah. It's that freedom of even not having to choose, yeah. right? right? So you you just live in that, and you just right. this is an act of worship for me. Well, Americans don't like to be told what to do. That's why they don't like the word obligation, because even in faith, don't tell me what to do. Just be the God of grace and mercy, and that's where God pauses grace <laughs> and yeah. judges, mm-hmm. because it's actually. You know, the famous thing is, the famous quote is uh, is from the movie Rudy when, you know, he goes to see the priest because he wants to play f- football at Notre Dame and he's too small and not fast. And and he goes to the community college, he sits down with the priest and the priest says, you know, he's like, I don't know what to do. And, you know, and the priest says, listen, in 35 years of religious studies, I've learned two things. There is a God and I'm not him. Mm-hmm. And, and I think our struggle even in faith, is we, we, we automatically want to tell God what to do. And he's constantly reminding us that that's not how our relationship works. He tells us what to do, yeah. and we're supposed to f- listen or yeah. follow. That's, right. yeah. you know, that's why Yeshua says, follow me. That's, you know, he's, he's the lead. So you both grew up um, in communities where you were either racially or ethnically a minority. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, I guess we're... I mean, it's hard in New York because there's a lot of Jews in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen Snatch. Yeah. Yeah, so... I know, I know that there's... Great movie, by the way. <laughs> it is a good Anytime movie. Anytime you can make a guy... I don't racist. actually think analogies. I don't think great. Jews are minorities in New York. I think we're minorities Like even in your else. part of Long Island? Yeah. Yeah, where I grew up, everybody, Jews married Catholics, and they had us. Hmm. That's like all of Long Island. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So being Jewish wasn't, I mean, you had Jewish friends, you had Catholic friends, you had... Yeah. Again, not that having friends makes you not something, but... I think outside of the nation of Israel, New York is probably the safest place for Jewish people to be because, you know, there's... Like, I live in Seattle, right? And between... Everett and Puyallup, which are the north and, you know, like half an hour north and south of Seattle, there's two million people total. In New York, there's two million Jews. Wow. You know, there's millions of other people as well. I mean, New York's just bigger in every number. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think we were, I was always conscious of being a minority, but New York is pretty safe. Hmm. It's going outside of the, the New York metropolitan area. Um, where it becomes very clear that there are not a lot of Jews. You know, you find pockets, like there's a lot of Jewish people in Chicago. There's a lot of Jewish people in Atlanta, in like certain cities, Hmm. Um, Philadelphia. I mean, mostly the Northeast, but... Atlanta's interesting. But going out... I would not have thought it. And of course, Florida, 
is yeah. like there's but Florida because yeah. all the New York Jews yeah. are tired there. <laughs> yeah, so there's like Boca Vista. There's seven hundred thousand yeah. I've seen Jewish Seinfeld. people in Florida. Really? Yeah, probably close to a million these days. That's interesting. But yeah. So outside of that, like I, you know, I worked at a summer camp in Ohio, uh, like a Christian summer camp with my friends, and you know, when I got out there, it was like you know, we always joked. My buddy, who we worked together out there, we would always joke like. There's probably like an alarm system when a Jew comes into town. Like, uh oh, there's a Jewish guy here. Yeah. Um, and it was like a joke, but also some like, you know, and I also wore my kippa all the time. So it was like, um, you know, most people didn't know what it was. Hmm. Really? I, yeah. It, well, in different parts of the country. In New York, there's no question. Sure. Right? Because kind of everybody understands to some degree. Um, but we did this tour of churches in the South and we were looking at this ministry in North Carolina and the guy, the head of the ministry said to me, was that a pancake on your head? He did not. Totally. And it was like, are you for real? Like, is that a real <laughs> question? You know, the flip side was, you know, there was this older, you know, Southern white lady who was very excited to meet me. Uh, because she had never met a Jewish person before. And hmm. she just came up to me and said, are, are you a genuine Jew? <laughs> and I was like, I, th I think so. Well, I've never been asked that way, but <laughs> yes. you know. <laughs> and we did these skits where I played Jesus in the skit, you know, and I had my kippah on and you know, made it feel more legit. Cause yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, d I don't think... I think I was aware that I was a minority, but growing up in New York was pretty, you know, there, if there's, there's no one, put it this way, there's no one in New York that doesn't, that, that does, that doesn't know Jewish people. Sure. Yeah. But in Washington, like, I'm, you know, like a guy came up to me, I spoke at a church and he came up to me and said, I've. I've never met a rabbi before. Like, this is really exciting to me. And I said, that's not true. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you pray to one. Hmm. <laughs> and he was like, oh, oh, yeah, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Oh. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, but you were definitely. Yeah, both of those comments, You though, were definitely you... a minority in your world. Both, both of those things that you just said you encountered on that one trip, both are so... Uh, yeah, can be so hurtful. They could be. Yeah. That when I hear that, yeah, I find myself as someone who grew up a minority being someone who's always mindful of minorities, always mindful of how that sounds. Yeah. What that what that feels like, but how that white, can be so communicated. You have to explain how you were a minority. Yeah. Well, I I grew up in a <laughs> predominantly African American community, and in a largely African American neighborhood an African-American school. So all of that culture just became my culture. So uh, this great awakening that's happening for people to be watching all of the movies that are being offered for free on Netflix right now, like I saw all that stuff. I mean, I didn't see the movies because some yeah. of them are new, but all of that background, right? right. And my, like, uh, you know, we had riots in 67 and tried to burn the city down. And I saw the city set on fire every year on what we call Devil's Night, the night before Halloween. And that, so uh, all all of my friends were ethnic. It was interesting because I was just talking to my wife that there's there was um, two predominant ethnicities that I was very connected to growing up, the African-American community and the Muslim community. Hmm. Uh, so I had lots of friends who were from Lebanon, Iran, Iraq. No kidding. I mean, just I mean, when you go to Detroit, uh, Dearborn, Michigan, is the largest concentration of Middle Eastern people outside of the Middle East anywhere in the world. Wow! And so, I mean, there's still the call to prayer. I mean, there's mosques everywhere, uh, and the benefits that you have of that are that I I was such an internationally minded person before I even knew there were other places. And so what I would have friends who they couldn't play football or they couldn't play basketball in school because after school, 
they had to go to Arabic school. They had to go and learn their native tongue. Hmm. And I always thought that that was so weird. And I always thought that it was weird that uh, they were not, in my, in my view, they were non-religious. Like they weren't, like they were just normal dudes. But, but they always, always carried their Quran with them. Always. They, they, I mean, even as elementary school kids, they would have a, a prayer mat and they would pray. Like at recess, they would, you know, and it was like, we're playing pom-pom tackle and they, you know, they got to wait because they got to say their prayers. And to me, like to them, it was just seemingly ritualistic. Yeah. But I think it gave me a heart even before I knew Jesus, it gave me a heart for things that people believe. Right. And so, yeah, I was, I was a minority, but I didn't know that I was a minority. Right. I thought I was just light-skinned. So... <laughs> That's funny. Which actually, what you said made me think. I think where I was a minority is I was the only religious Jew, hmm. but I was a Jew that believed in Jesus. So you were um, a spiritual minority, and relit. Yeah, religious in Judaism is a positive thing, by the way. Where for most Christians, being religious is a negative thing. Um, but religious in a Jewish context just means observant. So I had lots of Jewish friends, but none of them kept kosher, and none of them went to synagogue, and none of them. Um, were a keeper and none of them did. So mm-hmm. I, I was I was kind of set aside. Yeah, that was that, set apart you, that way. I grew up here and in, confusing because I also believed in Jesus. Right. So that just made a lot of conversations. But you grew up here. I grew up here in Wisconsin in Green Bay, and so people who were Jewish. That, I mean, it was it was only a religious uh, category for me. It was never like it didn't even make sense to me that it was an ethnic category. So like in high school, there was like. Three Jewish people, right? And I didn't even know them in grade school or middle school. Like I just first met him. I was like, "What? No, really? You're Jewish? That's so crazy!" I didn't even right. know we. I mean, we have a synagogue in town. Does anyone even go to the synagogue? I mean, there's a parking lots always empty, and I, I don't know. Like, I, mm-hmm. anyway. And so to hear you say that, you know, that you had Jewish friends that were not observing Jews, like that's just, yeah. you know, that's just so odd to me. That's most though. That's most Jewish people in the United States are secular, not religious. So they're Jewish by heritage and, um, you know, and celebrate some things. Our holidays are not Christmas and Easter. Our holidays are Passover and Yom Kippur. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that, you know, you go to even if you're not religious. Um, But but that's it. Hmm. And then they don't really engage in in Jewish practice for most of the year. Were you ever a subject of racial profiling growing up? I mean, I know you talk about that. Your your best friend's grandma didn't like you. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think I had teachers who. Um, I think it was interesting. I mean, some of the words uh, that I was called. I can't even uh, repeat them here. Uh, I, I definitely by, by teachers. Oh, teachers. My principal. Um. I was definitely an N lover. That was one of the big slurs against me. And you can fill in the blank on the end that, uh, yeah, and my friend's grandmother, you know, I had the same best friend from kindergarten through the 12th grade. Charles Smith was his name. And uh, I, I would go to his house every morning to pick him up for school. And we would walk to school together. And I went to his house largely because they had sugar cereal and we didn't. And so I would go to his house and I would eat cereal. So his sisters, who were a few years older than us, they called me the breakfast man. So they'd say, they'd, they'd yell up, Charles, the breakfast man is here. And uh, when I would go to his house, everything was cool. If his mom was home, everything was cool. Miss Cora, she was like a second mom to me. But if his grandma was there, I wasn't allowed to come inside. And, and she was vocal about it. And she, she would call me a lot of racial slurs. Get this peckerwood, get this cracker, get this. Uh, her big one was, you, you're not going to have no blue-eyed devil in the house with me. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't understand that as a kid. You know, it, Really, all it did is it just hurt my feelings because I really wanted to be a part of his family. And I, I really wanted grandma to love me because I didn't have a grandma at that time, right? And so I felt... Um, I, I think it just more than anything, it just made me sad because I wasn't accepted into their family. So, yeah. But n- other than that, <laughs> other than yeah. that, not a big deal. Yeah, no big deal. So then, Matt, 
apart from this guy that asked you about your pancake and the lady that asked you if you were bona fide. I was thinking bona fide. Like bona from, fide. Oh, brother right there. Oh, brother right yeah. there. Are you bona fide? <laughs> He's bona fide. He's bona fide. My hair. <laughs> anyway. I'm the paterfamilias. Yeah. I'm a fop man. <laughs> Another great movie. <laughs> anyway, uh, like, it seems like somewhere someone was talking about, like, how all this stuff seems like it was so far ago, like so long ago. So when you, when you, when I think of even more than race, when I think about like anti-Semitism, I think that's not, what what are you talking like that? That's Nazi Germany. Right. So that's, you know, 60 years old ago now. Like that's not, that's not actually a thing. Right. Right. So apart from this pancake guy and the bonafide lady, like, is that something that, I mean, do you see anti-Semitism and, like I mean, racist against Jews in today's world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the 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 frustrating thing is is somehow anti-Semitism became ingrained in Christian theology in the late one hundreds and early two hundreds, which is the disciples of the disciples of the disciples. Like it's not that far yeah. from the Jewish guys. Um, and it's so deeply ingrained that people don't even know um, that it's anti-Semitism. But the idea that Jesus came to end Judaism and start Christianity and everything that surrounds that idea um, is, is, is really anti-Semitism, which is weird because everybody's worshiping a Jewish guy. But in cultural context... Jesus' Judaism has been, I mean, he's been de-Judaized. His Judaism has been stripped away to where Jesus in pictures looks more like Sean than he does like me. Um, you know, he's, or really Norwegian. He's like, yeah, you super. know, mm-hmm. um, he definitely conditions and uses moisturizer. But, uh, you know, the there's there's nothing about him that's Jewish. And the the hot thing right now in the last couple of years um, is for all kinds of different people to say Jesus wasn't white, but they never finished what he was. Like I'll, the, I'll give you an example of the, you know, you think about those bracelets from the '90s, right? What would Jesus do with the question mark? Do you have that one? Or I have the other one. I have. He would love first. Right. So. What would Jesus do is the question. And I was in a youth group in the 90s at a church because our synagogue didn't have a youth group, and they gave bracelets out and brought it back. And my dad was like, what's that? And I said, it, you know, it's what would Jesus do? You're supposed to ask yourself, like, you know, Jesus would love. Jesus would have compassion. And my dad just went, you know what the actual answer to that question is? I said, what? He said, he would go to synagogue. Like, he would keep this Shabbat, the Sabbath, he wouldn't eat pork. He's fully observant. Like he spoke Hebrew. Yeah. He, you know, so we, we like, we attach ourselves to some of the ideals of what you could call the Christian God that totally separates itself from Judaism. And so when I walk in the room, like a church, as a Jew who observes Judaism but follows Jesus, it makes some people angry. Like, hmm. why would you do that? Why would you move backwards hmm. in Revelation? Like, there was a new covenant, and the old covenant is done away with. So why would you keep doing that stuff? But I think what I've found is what they're actually wrestling with is their own life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, like, yeah. They're not understanding. Like, I was thinking about, I was actually reading this morning um, in uh, Exodus... Exodus 34, and the idea is there's like a, you know, the Old Testament God was a God of judgment and wrath, and the New Testament God in the person of Jesus is grace and compassion. And that's kind of a dichotomy that people have in their heads, whether they realize it or not, that a lot of Christians have in their heads. But right in the giving of the Torah, like this is the moment that Moses comes down and he breaks the tablets because he's so angry because they're already worshiping an idol before they even receive the commandments. So he goes back up and gets another set and then comes back down. And when he goes up in, in Exodus 34... Um, Do you think he was like, 
I dropped that one. Yeah. Can I, can yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, God knew. He was right there. Uh, but he says, it says, so he carved two tablets of stone like the first, and Moses rose up in the early morning and went to Mount Sinai as the God commanded him, and he took in his hand two tablets. Then God descended in the cloud, stood with him there, which also says earlier that he spoke to God face to face, which maybe this is too theological for the moment, but the only image of God is Yeshua. So when it says he descended and stood there with him and they spoke face to face, it's not God the Father who you can't see. Right. Or even the Holy Spirit who has no image. It's probably Yeshua standing in person before he was ever born, standing in person having a conversation with Moses, which weirds people out. But then he says, then Adonai passed before him, which is the Father. Adonai passed before him and proclaimed, um, God, God, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth, showing mercy to a thousand generations and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means leaving the guilty unpunished but bringing the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And I think most Christians would hear that and go, oh, that's probably the New Testament. Hmm. Or at least the judgment part's the Old Testament at the end. But right. God literally defines himself and his relationship with Moses as the God of compassion and grace who is slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth, and one who shows mercy to a thousand generations. So the dichotomy, and people don't, there's actually a difference between anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism. So anti-Semitism is the hatred of the people, like in our the definition of race, is like people are hate Jews because they in some way think we're inferior to another superior race. Anti-Jewishness or anti-Judaism is what what has happened in the church for a long time. Sure. Because they're not against the people necessarily, but they're against the observance of an older revelation that no longer needs to exist, hmm. which is not really anywhere in the New Testament. Right. I mean, you have to work pretty hard to for Jesus and the apostles to negate Judaism. Um, but... Um, so there's anti-Semitism in the world um, in all kinds of, you know, I mean, for Hitler's the, the kind of latest, but he's certainly not the first. Right, right. Um, I mean, we've been, if you go through all the existing countries in Europe, we have, the Jewish people have been kicked out of all of them at some point in the last 2,000 years. Unfortunately, almost every time in the name of Jesus. It was either convert to Christianity and stop observing Judaism, or we kill you, or you leave. Mm. Which the, the, you know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but the, the rest of it is because his boat was filled with Jews. Like, we left Spain in the Spanish, in 1492, hmm. on Columbus's boats. You're telling a lie right now. It's it's for real. Have you ever heard that in your whole life? No, yeah. never. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Googling and, this as soon as we're done here. I'll cut it out, out if you're telling There's a fibs. book out there, and, you know, this is a... Because Columbus is one of the statues, you know, everybody wants to take down at the moment um, because of his treatment of Native Americans and, you know, it's awful, really awful things. Um, but... He also saved the Jewish people from Spain, and there's some people that believe that he was Jewish. That Columbus is a is a is a is a convert name hmm. that they gave one of the forms of uh, like there's several names that were forced conversion names, and sure. that Columbus actually might be one of them. Hmm. Well, you got so, both bases covered though. You personally, right? Because you're both Italian and Jewish. Totally. So no matter what. Yeah. Christopher yeah. Columbus is Which a, my grandma said to me, who was Italian, 100% Catholic, and she said to me, she was already having dementia, but she said, you know, you know who the two greatest Italians in history are? And I said, who? She said, Frank Sinatra and Jesus. <laughs> and I said, grandma. <laughs> Quite she, the company. Yeah. She, Jesus never even visited Rome. And she right. was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so to go back to yeah. kind of where we started, <coughs> you can cut that out. It'll be okay. To go back to where we started, anti-Semitism, from what I'm hearing as you describe, would fall under the category of racism. But sure. anti-Judaism would fall under the category of bigotry because it is anti your ideas. Right. So right. we're threatened not by who you are as a people. We, we think we have to embrace who you are as a people because the whole book is about your people. Right. Whether Inclu we want to acknowledge that or not. Including the New Testament. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. We just don't like your ideas because they make us uncomfortable and because somewhere along the line, we have been taught and trained, whether that be in a church or at a camp or in a seminary, we have been taught that Jesus came to abolish the things that you think that you would say he was fully observant of. Yeah. Yeah. And still would be. Yeah. So, but then there's this handful of like bad Jews, Pharisees, Sadducees, whatever. I'm sorry. This just occurred to me. I've not thought this out. So if I'm totally wrong, <laughs> we'll just cut this all out with his cough. But if yeah. I'm right, so do we do Christians then, white evangelical Christians, look at all Jews through the lens of this handful of Jews, like, I don't know his name. So like whatever that main Pharisee guy's name at the time of Jesus. Here's a name. What's that guy's name? Anyway. No, it's a group. Right, but it wasn't no. one dude. Wasn't it like the Antipas? You talking about Caiaphas? Caiaphas, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Like there's a dude. So, the high he, priest? Yes. Yeah. A Sorry. dude, the high priest. Sorry. Yeah, but so. that's, so what you're saying is actually a mischaracterization, typical mischaracterization of the leaders of the Jewish world in the first century. So Caiaphas was righteous? They're not bad people. I mean, first you got to step back. And if they accepted Yeshua as he is, as God, and worshipped him and followed him, he wouldn't have died for the sins of the world. Okay, so they were used by God. He has to be put to death. That's part of the plan. So we want to treat them as all these guys wanted was to put him to death, which there are indications that there's, and I think it's really a much smaller group. It's not the Pharisees. It's not the Sadducees. There were some among, like I don't know if you've ever looked into the, the actual trial in the, with the Sanhedrin at night. The Sanhedrin is the leadership of the Jewish people, which is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, two different groups uh, of leaders within the Jewish world. Um, but in the text of the Gospels, they make it clear that the, they met at night, which you're not allowed to do. They didn't have the whole Sanhedrin there because the guys who would have been against it weren't invited. Um, so some of these people were, you know, were, were, had evil intent, but that evil intent of a very small few of much larger groups is applied to all Jewish people. Right, and that's what I'm saying. So yeah. there's parallel, right, where we try to look yeah. at all black people or all cops or all whatever totally. based on the... You right, know. the Pharisees are bad is actually doing exactly the same thing as any other group. There has never been a, a group in the history of the world that was all bad. Mm -hmm. There, well, maybe, even the Nazis. I mean, there's people that did what they had to do to survive within that culture that didn't necessarily believe in the ideology and made terrible decisions and participation, you know, which we can come to uh, even with this, um, some of the things that are happening now. Um, there's, a, there's a verse in a commandment in Leviticus that only re it reads better in Jewish versions than it does in Christian versions of the text. Um, but it, it literally says, do not stand idly by while, in, while your neighbor's blood is shed. Mm. And if you do, if you watch someone die in an, in, an in an unjust way, then you, based on that commandment, become a participant. Mm. Mm. But that's a separate issue from then there's also the person who's actually doing the thing, right? They're, they're too like – they're, they're too – different sins. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is even in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is given, uh, Pentecost, which is a Jewish-Greek way of saying Shavuot, which is a holiday that follows 50 days after Passover, that in that 
Shavuot, there's only Jewish people there listening to Peter preach, and they're Jewish people from every nation. Um, and, and what Peter says to them is, you killed our Messiah and Lord, because some of the leaders who actually yelled crucify him were in the crowd. And it says in Acts 2 that they were, those leaders were cut to the heart and said to Peter, well, what should we do then? And Peter said, repent for your sin and be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sin in the name of Yeshua. And they go, okay. Mm. And they are. So is putting Jesus to death the sin? Yeah. Does that mean the Jewish people are judged for the rest of eternity? All of them? All of us? Because a few leaders decided to put him to death? No. The leaders had to put him to death in order for him to die for the sins of the world. And some of those small group of leaders who, you know, the courtyard where they actually yell crucify him maybe maybe fit like 120 people. It, It wasn't. Yeah, you know, in, in my mind, I have pictures. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like the Life Church sanctuary. Yeah. you know what I mean. It wasn't like it didn't fit giant groups of people. Yeah, it, it was a very small, and the, in in the, and there were select leaders there, and I would and I would guess that the guys who just wanted him to die, um, selected the other guys who also wanted him to die to be in that courtyard, and that the ones who didn't weren't even there. Right. But all of that, like there's a verse in Matthew 27 that's been misused forever. There's actually a thing, it's called Jewish deicide. And Jewish deicide is the idea from the late 100s that the Jews killed Christ and are judged for it for eternity. Hmm. Which is where the idea of the Jewish people being replaced by the church as the people of God is rooted in, well, if they're judged for eternity, then God has to start over. But there's nothing in the text that, well, in Matthew 27, during the trial, when Pontius Pilate says, you are, uh, he gives them, you know, he says to Caiaphas, the high priest, um, he says, he washes his hands and says, look, guys, I'm out. But if you really want to do this, and Caiaphas says, his blood will be on our heads and the heads of our children. And that moment is one of becomes one of the one of the preaching points of the judgment of God on the Jewish people. Because the high priest, who people understand is evil, said, but but if you go back to the Torah and you read what the high priest was commanded by God to say over the sacrifices in the temple that for Passover specifically, that when the they would bring the, the high priest would walk the sacrifice in and he would put his hands on the bull or the goat and say, His blood be upon our head and the heads of our mm. children. So what the Holy Spirit did through Caiaphas was he actually made Jesus a legitimate sacrifice for the Jewish people. By saying over him the same thing that said over the sacrifices, right. which bring forgiveness of sin for the Jewish people. Come on. But because people don't go back and you know they don't understand Jewish practice mm-hmm. and they don't read the Old Testament and they don't like they don't connect to pieces, they just say, "See, he took the blood on his head and the right. heads of his children." So the Jewish people are judged forever. So God's going to start the church, and in starting the church, he's going to replace the Jewish people and the church is all Gentiles, so they don't have to observe all that Jewish stuff because the Jewish stuff is the old covenant, and now we're in a new covenant, and now we just have to be concerned with he would love first. But the reason why Jesus would love first is because of the commandments that he gave us. Right, right. Right? There's a, there's like this weird separation between, well, it was God the Father that gave the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Jesus doesn't come till later. Right. But in in our theology, I mean, all of our theology here, Jesus has always existed. He's mm-hmm. He has no beginning and no end, and he's part of the Godhead, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so at Mount Sinai, I mean, you, I think you can rightly say that Jesus is the one that gave the commandments to the Jewish people. So how in the world, why in the world would he come to tell them they're done now? Mm-hmm. Like he gave them to us. 
Right. The things that he gets angry about in the Gospels are the things that they mess up, that people mess up, right? Like, there's 39 categories of what it means to work on the Sabbath. And they were trying to answer a question, well, what is work? We should all... The, the Torah says don't work on Saturday. So, what is work? It's a normal question. So then they lay out, define like, well, here's what work is, and this is what work is. Okay, there's 39 categories of what work is, and you have to get yourself to, you know, you got to observe all these things. But then they add a whole bunch of things with good reason. They're trying to flesh out the practical nature of how to observe something um, that then becomes the things they add become commandments, even though God never gave them. He simply just said, don't work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's a... I don't know, a thousand ways. I mean, we all have three different jobs. There are different ways that it applies differently to every person. What is your normal work? Don't do that on the Sabbath. Hmm. Like, I don't know, it seems pretty, it's not controversial. It's just right. whatever you do the other six days, don't do it on the right. one day. Yeah, don't right? not push a button on an elevator. Right. Right. So, right. But they're trying to flesh out. And then what happens is we judge. It's funny because that's one of the, you know, in in Orthodox neighborhoods in Jerusalem, they don't press the button for the elevator on the Sabbath. And the reason why you don't press the button is because there's a verse that says, do not light a spark on the Sabbath. And there's a spark because the light bulb turns on. Um, so it's easy to turn around and go, gosh, they're so legalistic. But even within, I mean, in, in any group of people, there's stuff we all make up that isn't really, right. you know, I mean, for the longest time now, uh, um, you know, since prohibition, Christians can't drink alcohol. And if you do, you don't want to go down that slippery slope because <laughs> you go down a slippery slope and you'll get drunk. But while there's some people that struggle with alcohol and drunkenness, the vast majority of people can drink alcohol and not get drunk. The only commandment in the text is don't get drunk. Yeah. In fact, so there's more positive things about alcohol in the Bible than there are negative things. <laughs> um, but people, you know, they we literally say to people, you know, it's a sin to drink alcohol. Yeah, and somehow, Where? somehow in our mainstream denominations, not drinking alcohol has become everything. Right. Like, let's not play cards. Right. Go right. to movies. Go to movies. Right. Dance. Go bowling. Right. My professor you know, in college said, we don't drink, uh, we don't smoke, we don't drink, uh, we don't. Is that we don't Adam smoke, song? we don't chew, we don't go with girls that do. Oh, yeah, gotcha. I've heard that one too. Yeah. yeah. So back to your no. thing uh, in Leviticus, where you had said, you know, to stand around and watch something happen to someone else puts their blood on your hands, makes you complicit. Yeah. We're experiencing that right now. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And that's, to me, on a personal standpoint, that is, and not because I based it on Leviticus. But this idea of there is injustice happening. Right now. Right now. It, it manifested itself in George Floyd. But it just happened again this week in Atlanta. It, it just happened. Yep. It's happening right now in Seattle. It, it, hap it's, it happens every day right under our noses. And, and at some point... When do we make ourselves complicit with our silence? And so I think that there's a lot of, I'll just speak from the Christian side of things. I think that there's a lot of Christians right now who are very uncomfortable by the fact that suddenly we are outspoken. And um, I, I said it in my message that aired today. I, I, I as I prayed about it this week, I felt like... Um, when I read the words of Mordecai to Esther that, that said, if you don't speak up now, I'm going to send deliverance through someone else. Mm. And not that I'm saying that I am a person of deliverance, but I'm not a person to share my opinion. Anyone who knows me knows that. But I think there's a difference between speaking on this and sharing your opinion on something. Like God, he, he doesn't want injustice. He doesn't want us to be complicit. He doesn't want us to stand around and watch something else happen. Because here's the thing about it. If we don't at some point address this, like head on, have uncomfortable conversations, if if we don't ask, if we don't listen, if we don't learn, 
it will never stop, right? And I'm, I'm excited about the fact that from a spiritual standpoint, to sit across from my brother who's a rabbi, and we sat in Jerusalem together. The first time we met was in Jerusalem, even though we know uh, a few people who know each other, that this idea for me was spiritually, I, I wanted to learn where do I come from, right? I come from a line that is Jewish, Right. I have no, with air quotes, no Jewishness in me. Like I'm Irish and Scotch. And yet. You've made, your people have made delicious drinks. Delicious drinks. <laughs> so thank God that there's more positive about alcohol in the Bible yeah. than there is negative. Yeah. And another time Celebrate. I can tell you a story about when I went to Isla, Scotland, and it was an amazing encounter. And, and this idea of when are we going to stop being complicit because we only want to be comfortable. I just think the church has been comfortable for long enough. Yep. And here's the honest brass tacks of it. I have been unfollowed on Instagram by, by so many people since I stood at a peaceful protest, a peaceful protest, because I don't want to be complicit in what's happening. And, and somewhere in our minds, we have determined that we have if if we're going to be pro one thing, we have to be anti the other. Right, right. But I'm not trying to be anti anything other than hate, other than malice, under other than this. Dem- I mean, I'm Injustice. not the super spiritual guy, but there is a demonic presence upon anyone who can knowingly impact somebody's life like that. And at, and at some point. Um, and I know that we can carry this into our next conversation. Is um, I don't want I don't want their blood on my hands, right? And so I don't want to be complicit with my silence. Now I don't know everything that there is to be said. Sometimes I'm going to say things that are stupid. Sometimes I'm going to say things that are offensive. But at some point, can we just can we just act like men? Or can we just act like women? And can we just have that conversation? Hey, bro, when you say that, I think that's offensive. And I, we don't have the time to drill down into this, but honestly, it's a little bit offensive to me that instantaneously the problem was white evangelical believers. And I could tell, like, when I hear that, I go, why has it got to be white evangelical believers? Like, aren't there other evangelical believers of different ethnicities that have said that? And I know that the church is, is like, grouped into this, I, like, idea of a white evangelical church. But, like, uh, yeah, somebody ev- was evangelical is not that old. Yeah. Somebody was making a comment uh, just the other day about British people. And they said something about uh, bad teeth hygiene. That's racist. Yep. And and so even in that conversation, that was just said. You know, well, that's kind of a that's kind of a racist thing to say. And that person went, Oh, you know what that is? And I think that lots of people are teachable, but not lots of people are willing to have the uncomfortable conversations to teach them. Yeah. Now, not all people are teachable. Let's well, be frank to, about and it. And to understand why yeah. it is. Yeah. Like people just want to be justified and I didn't like mean it mean. Yeah. I didn't like I wasn't saying yeah. it to be hurtful. Right, but you you don't get to decide if it hurts or not. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. If it hurts if, right. If it right. hurts somebody else, it's not right. Yeah. I mean intense a big thing. And we can't just delete sayings and think that we're not racist. Right. That's we have to go to the to the root That's of it. what that is. What is it in us? It is this idea that you said near the beginning that Something in us has determined that we are superior to someone else. Right. When when Jesus told us that we should become the least of these. Yes. Right? So if Yeshua, who was the greatest, who was superior to everyone, chose to come and to put himself into a position that wasn't superior when he could have. Right. And if we're supposed to follow his example, that and and Yeshua, who loved every ethnicity, who who went to every ethnicity, and and again, this is something we should get into in another conversation. He but didn't yeah, actually. Okay, I was going to say that. Hold your thought. Mm-hmm. I was going to say this <laughs> this idea of we have made 
Jewish people racists, and we've had this conversation. Yeah. In the fact that Jesus had to come and set peep other ethnicities free from, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's the Samaritan thing. Yeah. Which we yeah. don't have time for. We're going to get but, to that. So yeah. listen, that's in fact all the time that we have for for this session. Next time, we're going to pick up right where we're leaving off. Right? I want to talk about that. I want to talk about other things uh, in the Bible, our text that uh, that speak against racism that many Christians might not even know is there or have been overlooking forever. I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, uh, racism and is it a sin? And is it a sin? In a conversation you had recently, I thought about this, that is racism a sin that's an on-off switch or is it a dimmer switch? You know what I mean? Is it just a little bit on? And if it's a little bit on, does that mean it's all the way on? Oh. And so I want to talk about that next time as well. So thanks, you guys, for being here. We'll uh, we'll see you guys next time. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends uh, or subscribe. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.